One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. It's uh, really a pleasure for me to be here today. Uh, it's really good to be here at Grace Valley and to see what uh, God is doing. Uh, it's tremendously encouraged to see how uh, this work has been progressing, uh, in, not in a, in, in a fairly short time really by general standards, and so it's wonderful to see what's going on here. And. Uh, it gives me great pleasure not only to see what the Lord is doing in the PCA here in Dundas, but also uh, to see that uh, Paul and Jessica are uh, planting a PCA church. Uh, Paul and Jessica were a great blessing to me and my wife uh, many years ago when, he were, when we worked together. And uh, I always hoped and dreamed that he would, uh, and I was worried that he wouldn't, but uh, that he would uh, plant a PCA church. So it's a great pleasure to see that uh, he's doing it, and the Lord is working powerfully here in Grace Valley, and I trust he will continue to make you a, a powerful witness in this community, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just before we begin, um, I will make just a, a brief word uh, on, the, on, on the text. Um, I'm going to, uh, if, you, if you were to, as you heard uh, down there at verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Uh, that uh, translation there is, uh, is a great improvement uh, that the new NIV has. Uh, I will just uh, make a, a, a slight uh, a slight. Uh, tinker with it, uh, I will call it uh, shameless boldness. That just happens to be the way I'm used to uh, rendering it, but it basically is the same thing. Shameless audacity, 
shameless boldness. Now, when we, uh, when we read the gospel account of Jesus' ministry, some of you people are probably thinking, this is good. He's taking off his watch. Uh, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> Just to put you off guard. Uh, when we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, uh, we notice, of course, that uh, uh, he considered prayer very important, and he spent considerable amount of time praying. And one day, after he had finished praying, one of his disciples comes to him and says, uh, uh, Lord, uh, uh, why don't you teach us to pray? And so Jesus did give them some instruction on prayer, and he gave to them what we call the Lord's Prayer. He gave them the kind of model prayer that would outline the kind of things that they were to pray about and for, the concerns that ought to integrate into their prayer life. And um, as, he gave him, as, he, as he gave them this model, what was remarkable about the model was that uh, Jesus instructed them that as they go to Almighty God in prayer, they are to go to him as their father. And then Jesus um, continued to give them some further instruction. And uh, he gave them some further instruction about what this father is like and what their praying should be like as they go to the Father. What the Father is like, the one that they go to, what that Father is like, and what their praying should be like as they go to that Father. And in order to dramatize what the Father is like and what, the, what their praying, and your praying and my praying should be like, he tells them this short parable, and that's what we'll focus on today. Now Jesus recounts Jesus recounts the experience a man had one night. Around midnight, he heard a, a knock at the door. And opening the door, he, uh, to his surprise, he, he found there uh, um, a friend. Uh, a friend from out of town who had been traveling overnight. Now, it was not uncommon, apparently, for people of that time to travel at night because of the intense heat in the Middle East. But uh, so he may, uh, and this friend may have had a setback on the way, and that's why he got there at midnight. Or, uh, you know, this is the Middle East, and uh, people show up when they show up, and you have to be ready. And as he looked at his friend in the, win in the door, in the doorway, uh, he... Uh, uh, he, he immediately panicked because he didn't have, for some unusual reason, any bread in the house. Now, in the Middle East, food and hospitality has a certain sanctity and sacredness to it. And there really is no excuse, no excuse, for not providing hospitality to a guest. 
just a little while ago, this girl in the church gave me a book about uh, someone who had married someone, a Syrian, and they, they were living in the Middle East in these times, and uh, uh, was trying to explain how, what it's like to try to be a Christian and relate Jesus Christ to in an Arab culture. And she just, uh, she recounts just how sacred, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling, how to eat with someone is, how sacred that is. And uh, anyway, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this householder realized and was fully aware that if he failed to provide hospitality uh, for his traveling friend, uh, he would not be able to hold his head high in the village the next day. And if word got out sufficiently, if word got out somewhat widespread that he had failed to provide his hospitality for his guest, the whole village would be upset with him. For the whole village would be upset that he had brought such embarrassment on the village itself. And so as he racked his brain, as he racked his brain as to where he could find bread, here, there, and everywhere, it all boiled down to going down the road to his neighbor. And uh, as he thought about, as he thought about how, how, uh, how angry and frustrated and annoyed and irritated his neighbor would be when he went down to him, called out, waking up the whole house and asking for bread. His heart was filled with dread. But the situation, of course, was urgent, and he was desperate, so filled with dread and totally embarrassed, he goes down the road to his neighbor, calls out to his neighbor, uh, explaining his situation and asking for three loaves of bread. Now, we note that he goes there, and he doesn't just speak generally. Uh, this is a very brief parable, but he doesn't just speak generally. He just says, uh, he, he, he just says I'm in a bad way. I need bread. No. He explains his situation. I assume, in enough detail to impress upon him his need and why he needs it. And not only does he explain it in some detail, uh, he asks not just for bread, I need bread, he asks for three loaves of bread, specifically for three loaves of bread. And I assume that he asks for three loaves of bread because three loaves of bread is enough bread to provide hospitality, a good hospitality, for his friend who is a guest. Now, uh, of course, uh, as he expected, the, uh, his neighbor was, uh, was upset. And as he lies in bed, he mutters to his friend, uh, don't bother me. Don't you know what time it is? Do you realize what you're asking me to do? I live in a one-room house, you know. All of us are sleeping here together. If I have to, if I have to get up and get you bread, I'll wake up the whole family and we've got a hard day tomorrow in the field. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Go home. And then Jesus comments on this parable. And he says, says to his audience, which they, of course, would fully agree. He says, he says, even though this man does not want to get up and give his friend bread. Even though he does not want to get up and give his friend bread. And even if, Jesus says, the bonds of friendship are not compelling him to get up, this man, when confronted by such need, will get up 
and give his neighbor, his friend, bread. Jesus is saying it is impossible when confronted by such a need for this man not to get up and give him bread. He will get up and give him bread when someone comes shamelessly and boldly crying out for help. Now the first point of this parable, the first point of this parable, the first point I would say that Jesus wants us to take from this parable is that just as this man, this neighbor will get up and give his neighbor bread as he calls out shamelessly and boldly. Just as even though he doesn't want to, he will get up and give him bread as requested. And just as it's impossible for this neighbor to uh, turn his back on his friend, send him away empty-handed, how much more impossible, uh, how much more will God supply your needs when you come to him shamelessly and boldly asking for help? And how much more impossible is it for your heavenly father when confronted by your need to turn his back on you, to ignore you. When you come to your father, your heavenly father, shamelessly and boldly, he will give you what you need. Now the reason why your heavenly father will supply your needs is because he loves you as his elect family, his chosen ones, his special people. For, before the, for from before the foundation of the world, before the creation of all things, he set his affection on you and determined to save you. To save you that you might be, that you might be conformed to the image of his beloved son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And in order to accomplish this salvation, he sent into this world his beloved son to offer himself up as a sacrifice in the place of people like you and like me. And in time and in history, in time and in history, he pursued you. He hunted you down graciously and gently. But by trust yourself in this Jesus that you might be forgiven and raised to a whole new spirit-empowered existence, that you might participate in the purposes of God as he moves all of history to its glorious climax in the return of Jesus Christ and the ushering in of his new creation. And it is impossible for God to turn his back, to ignore you when you come to him in need, because to do so 
would be to betray. To betray. The beloved son, the willing, the willing son, who was obedient to his father, obedient unto death on that ancient cross. It would be betray the son's obedience. The beloved son, the well-pleasing son, the son who the father is devoted to and prizes above all prizes. And not only would it be to betray him, it would be to humiliate that beloved son who in the courts of heaven acts as your advocate interceding on your behalf. It would be to humiliate him and to it would be to betray and to humiliate the one who has so wonderfully honored the Father on your behalf. Now, when we reflect upon the fact that God is, our Father is committed to supplying our needs, delights, in fact, in supplying our needs. Because as he supplies our needs, he honors his son. That we must uh, keep in mind, we must come to grips with something. Because if you don't come to grips with this, you're going to find serving God extremely difficult, and extremely perplexing. You must come to understand that the Father is committed to give you only what is you truly need. He's committed to give you only what is truly good for you. He is committed to give you only. He can and he will only give you. You must grapple with that. That's an extremely hard thing. You go to him sharing your entire heart, as I will come to explain in a few moments. And I want you to explain it in the most powerful way you can. But he can only give you, and he will only give you. He will resist any, other tempt any temptation to give you anything else. What will enable you and empower you to flourish in the accomplishment of his purposes in and through you. When you go to God, your father, you are going to your father, the father for whom it is your greatest ambition to honor on his terms, in his way for his glory. Now, the second thing that Jesus would have you and I take from this parable is that uh,
is that uh, like that man, that man in need, who went to his neighbor shamelessly and boldly asking for bread, you too, you and I, are to go to our Father, our Heavenly Father, shamelessly and boldly explaining our situation and asking concerning our need. And I'm suggesting, I'm suggesting and appealing that as you go to your Father in your need, that you talk to Him he is personal. He is a person. And so you talk to him and you explain your situation in some detail, in some considerable detail. It is always interesting to me, of course, that uh, sometimes when People have problems that are weighing them down and perplexing them. They will go to a friend, a friend they have some confidence will listen to them and provide some help. And uh, as they go to this friend with their problem, uh, they, will, uh, they will speak very openly. They will open right up. And uh, they will start uh, talking and about, uh, about what they think about their situation and how they feel in this situation and uh, what they think they need or want in this situation. They'll do that with considerable detail. They won't just say, I have a problem, help me. They will go in with detail and they will share their heart from almost every angle concerning that need. And what's, uh, what's wonderful about that, what's wonderful about that, that is as they share their heart openly and straightforwardly, uh, that relationship with that friend, the relationship with that friend, friend is enriched and encouraged and flourishes. And thus, uh, I would suggest it's vital, absolutely vital. And I think, uh, at least when I look at my own life, we fall far, far short in this. It's vital that uh, when we go to our Father in our need, that we talk to Him in considerable detail, that we tell Him what we are thinking and what we think and how we see our problem, our situation, our need, and we tell Him how we feel about it in some detail, and we tell Him from our point of view what we think we need and what we want in some considerable detail. And the, and the, and the old Puritans argued we should be building a detailed case as to why God should answer this request. Too often, it seems, that uh, we pray so briefly and so, in a sense, from a distance and so lacking in shamelessness and boldness that uh, we give the impression uh, that, uh, that we think that God really isn't interested in how, what I think about this problem. He knows everything. We can, that he isn't interested in hearing from us, in listening to us. This is your father. A father loves to hear from his child. 
And we often think that, that, that God cares in a general way, but he wants to know how you are feeling in this situation. He wants to listen to it. He wants you to know that he is listening to it. He wants you to have a confidence that whatever he says in response, that he's heard you well. And he wants you to explain to him from your point of view why you think it would be a good idea for him to answer what you were asking for the way you were asking for it. Because as we do that, as we talk to God that way, as we talk to God that way, our relationship with God flourish, our fellowship with God flourishes. It flourishes. We come to know God in a deeper and richer way. We come to know more of him and his grace and his love and his power and his wisdom and the joy of belonging to him and of participating in his purposes. We, we develop a whole new, a deeper, richer view of why we exist in Dundas that our primary goal is to participate for his glory in his purposes. And you can only make any progress that way if you have intense conversation with him. Uh, just in case, maybe there isn't, but there might be, someone here today who finds themselves in a very difficult situation. Very difficult. They're dripping with disappointment. The pain is suffocating. The perplexing is overwhelming. Perhaps, you know, the darkness is closing in and it's enveloping you like a cloud. And you feel like you are free falling into the abyss. It's vital that you pray this way. Absolutely vital. If you are going to move through that kind of situation productively. Productively. If you're going to move toward that situation in a way that honors God. And, drive, and, de and lead you into a much deeper love for God and confidence in God. There's no other way. No other way. You must never back away, which is often what happens. You must push into the presence of your Father shamelessly and boldly and talk to Him. You know, when the darkness closes in, I imagine you sing that song. When we sing it in the church that I go to, it, the whole singing changes dramatically. Darkness closes in. Huh? When the darkness, we sing it and we sing it, isn't it wonderful? When the darkness closes in. But if you are going to conclude that song, when the darkness closes in, 
I will bless his name. If you're going to say, I will bless his name in the darkness with some sense of authenticity and reality and deep-seated joy and confidence, you will only get to, I will bless the name of God, the, the, the glorious name of God, if you have talked to God in detail about your darkness. It's a great song to sing. Yes. But when the darkness closes in, in actuality, it's very difficult to say, I will bless his name, unless you are talking to him with detail, intensely, shamelessly, boldly. Now, again, when we when we come to our Father shamelessly and boldly, with detail, with a straightforwardness that shocks archangels, it is important that you keep in mind and you remember that as you come to him, you must come to him in the spirit of thanksgiving. You must come recounting to him in detail, in detail, the riches that he has given to you in Jesus as Savior and Lord. You must recount to him in detail all of those amazing ways he has provided for you daily throughout your pattern as the man, as the gentleman prayed here in, our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in his prayer. We must be recounting his goodness. And of course, when you come to him shamelessly and boldly, as I'm suggesting to you, it's a rather terrifying thing to do. You must come to him, of course in the name of Jesus, but you must come to him with a profound reverence that acknowledges that he is sovereign, he is in control. It's his will that counts. It's his purposes that count. It's his wisdom that counts. It's his power that counts. And we must come praying, of course, that he will strengthen our faith, that in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of our need, we will be growing increasingly in faith, increasingly growing in trusting in his wisdom, counting on his wisdom and his unfailing love towards us. Now, the reason that we can go to our Father shamelessly and boldly, like I'm suggesting, you know, is because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus' death and resurrection has opened up a new and living access into our Father's presence. That Father who is the almighty God who reigns and rules over all things in splendor and glory, in light in which there is no darkness. We move into his presence. Why? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection who has opened up this way to him. So we enter into his presence in a way that archangels, cherubim, seraphim are just baffled at.
Because trusting Jesus, as we entrust ourselves to Jesus, as we grab hold of Jesus, as we grab hold of Jesus by faith, we are forgiven and we are raised to a whole new spirit-empowered life. Entrusting Jesus, you see, entrusting ourselves to Jesus, holding on to Jesus, grabbing on to him, sometimes with barely our fingertips, we are qualified, qualified and empowered to move into Almighty God's presence, our Heavenly Father, with shamelessness and boldness that shocks angelic host. And I would, it's vital that we do this, you know. It's vital. Because when we are praying like that, in our, the isolation of our room, with some group or in our church as a congregation. It's absolutely vital that we pray this way because when we pray this way, we dramatize, we proclaim, we declare just how amazing, how wonderful, how powerful Jesus Christ is. That this Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection is able to lead sinners like you and I, sinners like you and I, right into the presence of the courts of heaven and talk to our God as our Father. It simply proclaims how powerful and how glorious this Jesus is. It dramatizes in such a wonderful way Jesus, the accomplishment that Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. Well, that's what Jesus longs and what the Father longs. He longs to see his Son glorified when, because, when people come in the name of Jesus shamelessly and boldly, as if knowing that God is interested in whatever is in their hearts at that particular time. And also, I personally consider it important. It's an important work in another way because it's one of the ways that we humiliate Satan and the powers of darkness. Do you know? It's one of the ways we humiliate Satan and the power of darkness and show one of his favorite things. Another thing he likes, not quite as much, but he still likes it a lot, gives him a lot of satisfaction, is when believers like you and I don't pray at all. He likes that. And uh, he, he likes it also when we pray as if from a, from a great distance, as if God is too holy to really talk to, other than in a few generalized statements. Oh, God of light, how good you are, help me. As if we talk from a distance, as if he isn't interested, as if he's too great, and as if I'm too small, and all of that kind of thing. Uh, Satan kind of likes that too. But you know the thing he hates 
It just irritates him. It brings him to a noxious anger when he sees some little person like you and like me in their room pouring out their hearts to God, the Father, the God who reigns and rules over the whole universe. And there's this little person. Perhaps he was a sinner of the worst kind or perhaps he was one of the sinner of the most self-righteous. It doesn't really matter. And Satan sees this person, that sinner, converted by Jesus. And there he is going right into the presence of the Father in the courts of heaven, and talking to him like an almighty friend, like a friend, drives Satan nuts. It crushes and humiliates the powers of darkness. It shows that they are defeated. That's why it is an important work, not only in my opinion, to pray for your own needs for yourself, but to dramatize, to make present now that Jesus is the reigning Lord who saves in an amazing way. Amen.